In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless them? Praise God. You may be seated in the house of God with the people of God. Tell somebody you love them and that you're happy to see them. I'm so happy to see you, man of God. Man, love having you guys up here. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 14, verse 1. Somebody say, get ready. Amen. We are now entering the longest uninterrupted red letters of Jesus in the Bible. You want to know how I know that? Somebody say, how do you know them? Because I went to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, copied all of the words, put it in the Word document, and then I went to John 14, 15, 16, and 17, put it into the Word document, and guess which one had the most? The one I just said you're going to read, that's the longest portion. Are you guys paying attention? I think I, didn't I say that? I did say that. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not going crazy here. Just in case you're wondering, if you're a nerd like me, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, has 2,460 words of Jesus. 2,460 words. What you're about ready to enter into now in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 has 2,848 words. Are you ready? Come on, I'll ask you again. Are you ready? Amen. You got to take your time with this. You got to work the word. You got to do some homework throughout the week. Go over it, read it, saturate it. There's a reason why it's here. Now, there's always arguments and discussions over how the gospels compiled the teachings of Jesus. Some people think it's in a sitting, one talk, one hangout. And that's not too bad, 2,800 words. That's not too bad. We're going to say that here today, uh, you know, in our talk as well. I mean, I think I'll say that many words. It's not that bad. The idea is, though, did he do it that way? So that it's a debate. We don't know. When the authors of the Gospels put these together, they were inspired to do what they did. In other words, they could have taken multiple talks and then combined them because that was the Father's will. So when people argue about it, they're really arguing over something that doesn't matter. How is it now? Do you get it now all at once? Well, then that's how God wanted you to have it. Can I hear an amen? Amen. That is not a simplistic way of understanding. I just want you to get why we believe that when we believe in inspiration. In other words, Jesus said a lot more. The Bible even says this, that Jesus said a lot more that's in the Bible. How many have heard that before? Amen. Just go to the end of John. This is the, this is the book that says it since we're studying the book of John. Just go to the last chapter, and I'll give you that resource right here. John chapter 21, last chapter of our book that we're going through on Sundays. Verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room enough for the books that would be written. So we understand when we come to the Gospels, there's more there than that uh, they're recorded. They told us that. Like, we're not telling you word for word everything Jesus said at any given time. So now we have to ask ourselves, why did John put together 2,848 words of Jesus uninterrupted. You have to ask yourself that. Why did he do that? Either A, it's one long talk, and he did what none of the other disciples did and recorded it and gave it to us, or it's a talk that Jesus gave at different times, and he combined it. But here's the answer. We don't have to wonder why did John do such a thing in his understanding. 
Because if we believe the Scripture is inspired, who inspired, who compelled John to do it that way? Jesus himself. So a lot of times people look to the Word of God and they think that this is just about Jesus. And that's true. The Word of God is about Jesus. But we learned in John chapter 1 that the Word is what? Jesus. <laughs> so the Word of God is not just about Jesus. The Word of God is Jesus. Now, it's not paper and ink and so forth, but it's the logic. It's the understanding, the mind of God. Go to John 1.1, please. Put it up there in the Greek as well. If you hit those nice characters, I think I've showed you how to do that. If you touch those characters right up there to the top left where there's an alpha and omega symbol. I want you to look at the word for word. The word for word, as I've showed you before, is logos. And, of course, that spinning ball means it needs Jesus to help it. Does everybody see this Greek word for word? It's logos. What English word does logos sound like? Logic. Now, you can't always play the name game because a house and a mouse aren't related to each other, though they sound the same, okay? I'm not trying to trick you. I'm just asking you to use your critical thinking. The logos is where we get logic from in our, in our dictionary, okay? Now, the Bible says that Jesus is that logic. He's the logic of God. He's the wisdom of God. He's the righteousness of God. He's everything the Father is manifested to us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So when we hear the word of God, we are not just hearing something about Jesus. We're listening to Jesus. In other words, everybody who's ever wrote anything, including me as an author and you on Facebook, and if you're an author, a poet, and didn't know it, and so forth, all of us who have written down things have been inspired by someone or something. We who look to the Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, please, and put that on a separate tab because I want you to see the Greek there, and do the same trick you did right there, please. Those who are writing scripture, are inspired by God himself. They have what is called theanustas. Can I hear an amen? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Put it up there for me, please. Give me the 16. All scripture is what? Can you all see it here? God breathed. Thank you. Just pull it up a little bit so they can see it better. Thank you. But then I can also touch it. This is going to be a sweet spot. It's going to be a sweet spot. So you got to pull it down just a little bit for me. Look where my hand is at. There you go. Pull it down. There you go. Pull it down. There we go. Look at this word. God breathe. Theo. What have we learned here? What is Theo? God. Nanustas or Nastas, so however you would say it. Breathe. Neustos. Theo. Neustos. There we go. Th somebody helping me out. Now, God breathed. The scripture is the breath of God coming to the people. Do you see it? So when you're hearing the word of God, you're not just hearing something about God. You're hearing God's, you're hearing his breath. You're hearing him breathe. Why did John combine these things together, give us 2,848 words of Jesus uninterrupted? So you could hear the breath of God for that long. 
so that you could be inspired by what has inspired the authors of Scripture. Don't take it for granted. Now, just please put up John chapter 14 right there, and this has red letters, and just scroll through it softly, but hastily so we don't watch it all day, and get an idea here of what's going on in this passage. All of these red letters. Every now and then a disciple will ask something. But this is just Jesus breathing, teaching us his logic, showing us who he is and who we are and how we have to interact with him, as I say, dance with the divine, and how to live with him and to be with him, even as it's scrolling through John 15, one of the most important passages of Scripture, him talking about he is the vine. And we are the branch. Have you ever see, seen a branch growing by itself on the ground? No, it's growing connected to a branch. That's how you're supposed to see yourself, connected to God, being intertwined with the divine. Not only are you dancing with the divine, you are intertwined <laughs> with the divine. This, this will make a theological nerd happy today and somebody who likes spiritual treasure hunts happy. I'm just going on a journey. This should make you happy I'm talking like this right now. You dance with the divine. You are intertwined with the divine. You are in the breath of God. Keep on scrolling for me, please. Don't get tired. We're not done yet. 14, 15. 16, 17. John put it there because the Holy Spirit inspired him through the breath of Jesus. We are now entering into that passage, and it should be interesting to us. It should be so captivating, as my brother said, so mesmerizing that we're never the same again. As you look at John 17, it's his prayer. Oftentimes people look to the prayer, the Our Father in Matthew, and they call that the Lord's Prayer. To be technical, it's not the Lord's Prayer because it's not Him praying, and Jesus would not pray, forgive me my sins as I forgive others their sins. That's Jesus teaching us how to pray. In John 17, that's how Jesus prays. You want to hear how He prays? Read John 17. Thank you, my brother. Now let's go to John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. John chapter 14, as we enter into the section, notice the first thing that he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. First words of that verse, do not let your hearts be what? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now go all the way to John chapter 16. How many like sandwiches? Anybody like sandwiches? I'm old school. I like sandwiches. I, I eat wraps too, don't get me wrong, but I'm old school. I like sandwiches. 
John chapter 16, verse 33, what you just read at the beginning in 14.1 is the top bun of the sandwich of what we're getting before Jesus goes into his prayer in John 17. John 16.33 is the bottom bun. What did he say in the first verse of John 14? Don't let your heart be what? Trouble. Now look at verse 33 of 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Sandwich of God right there. Come on, man. I'll take it. (laughs) And everything in between is the meat. Everything in between is the meat. And then he prays for you. I love how John structured this by the Holy Spirit so that I can feel the breath of God, so that I can get into cadence with the Holy Spirit, so that I can dance with the divine, so that I can be at peace in a world where I feel so disconnected that I can feel like I'm intertwined with the divine. Amen? Now, going back to our notes today, I'm going to preach on something that will be encouraging to some and controversial to others, and I hope that those on the controversial side will come over and receive the encouragement side. But, uh, you know, but a good rebuke will, won't do you any harm. A good rebuke will help you. Amen? Because I'm going to say two phrases that are going to mess with you, and then I'm going to prove it to you by the Word of God and through evidence that we have today in science and in neuroscience. Here are the two statements. Anxiety is a choice. And the second one is depression is a choice. I know it's controversial. I know what you're probably thinking, those that are on the controversial side, because remember, if I have a gift of self-awareness, I'm going to share it with you. I know what many of you are thinking. If you're on the controversial side and you're already thinking some things along the lines of, well, are you going to be like Tom Cruise with Matt Lauer now and give Brooke Shields a hard time because she has postpartum depression? Are you going to deny medical science Are you going to make people who are already suffering feel more uh, suffering and anguish because you don't care for them? All the people that this person that I'm, you know, giving the thoughts to, giving the words to, will say, I have friends, I have family, I myself have suffered the trauma, it is real, and if I could choose to stop it, I would. Suicide is oftentimes the easier choice, people will say, that if they know dying, uh, taking their own life will cause so much pain to their family, and yet they still choose suicide. How much um, pain must living really be for them? Okay, self-aware. Somebody say self-aware. I understand those things. If I missed any, please go under my devotional for today and write them, and I'll have Lauren text me if they come up because I want you to be able to think if I've missed it. I want you to say it. I've heard it. I understand it. You, you hear that statement, and if you're on the controversial side of it, what you think I have said is I'm denying science. What you think I have said is I'm placing blame on people. What you think I have said is that I deny the trauma that leads people even to suicide, and that you're believing that I'm going to give you now a pray-the-gay-away type approach, that if you just do three things... Three steps, come to church, clap your hands, everything's going to go away. And then you'll be tempted, those who find this controversial, you know, people watch our videos and our lives, you'll be tempted to want to find the hypocrisy in this. You'll say pastors are depressed, you know, Christians are depressed, it doesn't change, uh, you know, according to even your religion, it's a physical phenomena, it happens to all people, and that we ought to be more sensitive about it, and the terms that you just use are not approved, and by the way, they're trying to cancel Dr. Jordan Peterson right now and take away his degree, and so it's not approved by the consensus and so forth and so on. 
let me be very clear to what I have to say to that. I hear you, and I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Now, the reason why I rebuke you in Jesus' name, and I'm doing it calmly, not as a shouting preacher. Hear the shouting messages last week. is because I know to go through this, I have to do it without the emotion. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. I can't get emotional in it right now and talk about being free and letting your hearts not be troubled because people on both sides, the controversial side, will think that's all I did was shout and holler and got people to say amen and we didn't critically think. And then on the encouragement side, uh, those of you who already believe it and receive it and trust me, You'll think I'm saying what you already know, and you're still depressed, and you're going to miss it and just have hype for a service. So I need it to slow down for you so that you can understand. If you're still depressed, if you're still dealing with anxiety, you're not getting what I'm saying. Okay? Now, let me show you the resources that I want you to have, and then I'm going to explain that to you. Because you know I love you. You know I care about you. I would never say anything intentionally to harm you. I could be wrong. I could be stupid. That is a possibility. But I wouldn't be mean. Not today. If you think I'm being mean, then, then please, uh, you know, talk to Lauren about how you have now been able to read people's hearts and minds. And then, uh, please, I hear there's about $600 million going on the lottery right now. Can you read the mind of that, you know, machine and tell us what's going to happen? So I'm telling you, I'm not mean. I may be stupid. People may think I'm stupid. May, people may think I'm wrong, but I'm not being mean. In my heart, I think I'm, going, I'm helping you. I think by saying those things to you, I'm helping you. Amen? Amen? Now, let me get you the resources here. These are the resources, and we'll buy any one of the four books, and of course, the YouTube resource is for free. Dr. Amen? Did you refresh and it's not coming up? Okay, it's all right. It will be on there. Our servers have been acting weird with our notes and things. Dr. Daniel Amen? Change your brain, change your life. And I'll put this uh, to Lauren, and Lauren can put it under my Facebook devotional. My Facebook devotional today will act as a middle ground for these things. So if you're on our, fa on our Facebook, go to Joe Y. Rostick or, you know, look it up there. And then you'll see underneath there this picture of these things that are supposed to be showing up there. Dr. Daniel Amen, he's done over 200,000 brain scans. Do you want to know the name of his book? You're just depressed, so stay depressed. You're anxious, and that's just the way it's going to be, so deal with it. Let's get you more drugs. Is that, is that the name of his book after doing 200,000-plus brain scans? The name of his book's? Change your brain, change your life. Sounds like you have a, a choice. Sounds like you play a part in this. A second author, Dr. Paul Meyer. Happiness is a choice. Did I read that right, you oompa loompa? What is wrong with you? Don't you know happiness is not a choice? If I could be happy, I would choose to be Dr. Paul Meyer of the Meyer Clinics. Multiple clinics throughout our city, multiple books, has done the research. Dr. Paul Meyer. Happiness is a choice. Next one, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz. You are not your brain, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz. You are not your brain. Dr. Harry Berry, sounds like a silly name, but it's a real name. Harry Berry, Harry Berry Carey. He is a doctor with multiple years of clinic um, tested techniques. And he has a video online with the D.A.R.E. program, How to Stop a Panic Attack. He says that anxiety is the easiest of all the mental traumas to be free from. Easiest. As a matter of fact, in the D.A.R.E. program, non-Christians, by the way, so just understand when you go there, the number one thing they have to deal with in, this is by their own words, their own counselors, the number one thing they have to deal with in their counseling session 
is to help people understand that their anxiety is not different than others' anxiety. That's the first thing they have to do. They, have, they, they say they have to learn to be patient because they have to listen to everyone tell their trauma to try to them, uh, you know, exclude themselves from the solution. Well, you know, I just want to let you know, my anxiety is really different. Uh, before we try this program, let me just tell you, mine is probably not like anybody's you've ever seen. See, mine manifests in this way and that way and through this trauma and through this situation. You have probably, and they have to listen to it every single time. And they have to have patience because at the end of the day, they really just want to look at him and go, baby, you ain't that special. Your brain is just tricking you with anxiety to think it's a special kind of anxiety. That is what anxiety does. It makes you feel trapped. It makes you feel like you don't have opportunities of change. You are trapped in it. That's what it does. It uniquely deceives you because you're a unique person. My anxiety trigger will not be the same as your anxiety trigger. I had a friend that was triggered by drive throughs drive throughs I heard him confess it after the time that I've been with him, so I haven't had a chance to follow up with it because I heard him mention in one of his videos, that almost seems ridiculous. It almost seems like he's trying to make up something to fit in with those who are triggered by anxiety. But no, he's very serious. He's triggered by drive throughs Others, you know, claustrophobia, tight spaces. Others triggered by, you know, the thought of anxiety. Agrophobia, you know, the fear of fear. What happens if this happens? What if, I, what if I get an anxiety attack over in this location? What if I get a panic attack over here? And then Dr. Caroline Leaf, switch on your brain. Now, there's resources for you to go and look at. But I want you to highlight from dude not to troubled right here because I got one verse for you. I got one part of a verse and I might just shout a little bit right here because before they figured it out, before Dr. Amen did over 200,000 brain scans, before they began to look at the thing on the MRIs and how they do those scans, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's what my Jesus said. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, what will each one of these talk about? They'll talk about predispositions to anxiety and depression. They'll talk about those things that are hereditary, hereditary in nature. They'll talk about those that may have had brain trauma and injury and anxiety and depression may be a symptom of that, misfirings. But what they will all agree upon in one way or another is that you have a choice today. You have a choice. You are not just a victim of anxiety and depression. You can be a conqueror of anxiety and depression. Now, how would, how would we do that? How would we become a conqueror? Well, in all of these programs, the first thing that they talk about is that you can't blame yourself and look at it as some deficiency in the side of you. You are not your brain, says it in the title. Other books, books talk about relabeling it. In other words, you begin to see your brain and anxiety as something that is evasive to you. In one book, Jeffrey Schwartz talks about becoming your own advocate. 
being able to understand what is coming against you and to stand alongside as if you were counseling a friend to be able to say to yourself, I know this is not me. Do you see how quickly you can get free if you start to think that way? Because if you identify with it and you begin to uh, claim it as your attribute, you now give that thought a root in your mind as something that is germane or natural to you. And it's not. The brain is not meant to function in an anxious state, in a depressive state. It does damage the brain in some ways over long periods of time. But thankfully, the same way that it can damage the brain, the brain is quite uh, elastic. It can heal the brain. You can heal the brain by no longer having the anxious um, triggers trigger you or depression to deceive you. Can I hear an amen? Dr. Meyer, in his book, Happiness is a Choice, writes this about depression throughout his research. Is genetics a good excuse? Some people do inherit various forms of depression, from chronic dysmaya to reoccurrent major depression, even bipolar disorders. Medications nearly always bring some relief for these genetic forms of depression. But as physicians who have researched genetics quite thoroughly, we get disgusted Listen to what this doctor says. We get what? Disgusted with people who blame everything on their bad genes. Why do you think he would be disgusted? Because he can't change somebody who says it's not my fault. Someone who's continually saying it's just my genes. It's only my genes. The genes are things that I cannot prevent or help. That is true to triggers and to dispositions. But how you now live with it How you operate now is a choice. Cancer may not be a choice, but how you live with cancer is. And so even for those in these minor situations, as we're about ready to get to as he drops some of his stats and facts, even those have to now know it is a choice moving forward. I now know this is a part of my brain. I now know this is something that is uh, not functioning correctly and something from the outside needs to come in. Okay, but they have to cooperate mentally with their free will with the physical process of the medicine. In other words, if medicine could fix everyone that's depressed, why aren't they fixed? Do you guys get what I'm saying? Even if they had to be on it the rest of their life, why aren't they fixed while on it? Though it does offer some relief, it doesn't seem to fix or heal it. That has led others to believe, well, then maybe it can never be healed. Those who are predisposed to it will have it the rest of their lives. And yet you have people in this church who have found freedom and haven't gone back to depression and anxiety for years and years and years. Even though, come on somebody, even though that that black dog, as Winston Churchill used to call his depression, even though that black dog will try to come and snuggle back up in your bed, you just kick it right out in the name of Jesus. But notice what he says. It disgusts us to see people blame everything on their bad genes. People today are actually blaming such sins as alcoholism on bad genes. Have you noticed how that's being tossed around now? Everything is a gene according to them. 
The so-called scientists who do such things are slanting the data and grasping at straws. Our genetic makeup does have an enormous effect on our intellectual and emotional potentials. But our degree of wisdom and happiness as adults is not predetermined genetically. As some would like to think. One more time, because my sister asked. Happiness as adults is not predetermined genetically. That's why you can see people as siblings, as parent-child, with the very close to the same kind of uh, genetic dispositions, and yet be uh, very different in their everyday life. There are some of you here that can relate to exactly what I'm saying. You grew up in an anxious house. You grew up in a depressive house. But now that you've been coming to Jesus, working the word, breathing in the things of God, you are no longer like your parent or your sibling. Amen. Praise God. And here it is highlighted in my book. Most Human depression is the result of our own irresponsible behavior. Our own irresponsible handling of these two major emotions, our anger and our guilt. Our anger and our guilt. Our anger and our guilt. Think about it. Even during the time of postpartum, where physically... The woman's body is changing, and now a woman is predisposed to these things. What are the feelings? Anger and guilt. Guilt to not being a good mother. Guilt to not doing enough, right? Anger towards the situation that you're in. And yet now the mother has a choice. Not whether or not the body realigning hormonally. That's where, uh, you know, what would happen and, and, and cause issues. That's where Tom Cruise is an Oompa Loompa in that way, and he's an Oompa Loompa in a lot of many other ways, okay, uh, according to his Scientology beliefs. That's where we're saying back to the community that looks at us controversial, no, 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 we're not saying we deny that in any way. As Christians who believe what I'm sharing with you, I'm not saying that it's wrong for doctors to help that. They should help that. I'm not saying it's wrong for uh, physical help or mental help. In other words, like, let's give some drugs, chemicals, things to help, herbs, you know, and spices. No, I'm kidding. Herbs and, uh, you know, oils and anything that can work. And at the same time, to give psychiatric help. Uh, No one here is denying that. Certainly not me. Certainly not me. But what I'm saying, now that we've done that, let's take our worst-case scenario with a mother with postpartum depression. And she's gone to a doctor, and we would love to support her in that. And we do. And if they can't afford to go to a doctor, we provide those things as well. And for these books, any one that you may want, the church will purchase for you. And they're not cheap. But we'll do that for you because we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And Dr. Carolyn Leaf has a free podcast as well. Many of them have given talks online if you need immediate counsel in those areas. But I want you to hear me on this. Now that the worst case scenario has happened, I mean, the, the mother's life is spinning. It's out of control. She's gone to the doctor. We have supported that as Christians. Now what are we supposed to do? Please go to the notes. We are now supposed to go to the mother and say, Mother, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in Jesus. 
Well, I, I just wish it was that easy, but it's not. No, no, listen to me. I'm not saying it's going to be easy for the next 30 seconds, but what I'm saying is the burden will get easier over the next 20 hours, 20 days, 20 weeks. Do you understand? As the mother begins to realize, my heart belongs to me. My heart is not my brain. My heart is not my uterus. My heart is none of those lady parts that are having all of these chemicals firing in, in different ways as they're lining back up. I am a child of God. I belong to Jesus. I am not my brain. I am not my estrogen. I am not my hormones. I am not my thyroid. That's what I'm offering as encouragement today. Because that's the process that actually brings healing. Same thing with the man, the PTSD. Our dear neighbors have uh, gone through war. One of them is a, um, had her leg removed because of an IED and now has a, a uh, prosthetic leg. What I say to her and to anyone that would come to me, if they were, and I'm waiting for an open door to share this. And I have, and I think my wife has in some ways. Through the journey of healing, through the journey of coming back to peacetime and them being triggered by fireworks, and they've been invited to our home during that time, and they let us know that's not a place because we have a 4th of July celebration. That's not what we want to do on this day because of the noises and the sounds. I mean, you can imagine, right? The brain has suffered that trauma. No one's denying that. How dare we look at something like that and say, you're just faking it. Get over it. So when people say as an anxious person, well, I just don't want you to hear me. Get, I don't want you to tell me, just get over it. I don't want to hear you say, you'll be fine. I understand those surface level things don't help. But after they've gone to the doctor, after they've gone to the psychiatrist, after they've heard all that the world has given them, what would Jesus say to them? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do you see how powerful that is? Because, yeah, you're, you're getting physical help. You're getting mental help. But how do you center yourself? How do you ground yourself? How do you wake yourself up in the morning and now go throughout the day and not just Think how miserable you are. Man, I've lost my leg. I've been to war. I, I get triggered by various sounds. I don't like being around people or whatever it is. How do you go through that? Otherwise, that takes you over. You have to start where Jesus told you to start. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You see, you, can you control the gate of your heart. You may not be able to control that trauma and that trigger. The same thing is with children being brought up in homes of abuse. How dare we look at them and say, you haven't suffered trauma. But now that the child can hear and understand, and we've taught them reasoning abilities, what are we supposed to say to them? Let's just keep you on drugs. Or are we not supposed to look at them with the heart of a compassion and say, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled, young person. You are not your family. Don't let anger and guilt 
control you. Don't let it take you now as its master. And this trauma now control you and drag you through life with all of these pains. Let Jesus heal you as you shut the door on the trauma and you open it to Jesus. Because it's a choice now, child, what you let in. You can't make a choice of the nightmare. You can't make a choice of what a sound or a smell recalls to you. You can't make a choice over that. No one is denying that here. But what we are saying is you make a choice of what that trigger can and cannot do. And we need to stop treating people like they're machines. Beep, boop, beep, boop, now be better. Take this drug, do this thing. And that's why it's not worked. When I first got into this study, it shocked me how many of those writing the books themselves had psychiatric problems. The one who wrote the college textbook on anxiety, the workbook for anxiety, had to take, I believe, a three-year sabbatical in Hawaii for having such terrifying phobias. And then he came back and rewrote the book with less emphasis on the medical and the physical and more emphasis on what happens in the spiritual and in the soul. I don't take this lightly. I know how serious it is. I've seen people in my life suffer these things. I've seen my friends and family. I myself, I mean, we've all suffered depression and anxiety in some ways. I've had all of these things come in and through my life. And I'm here today to tell you that I'm not trying to offer a simple Tony Robbins $599 weekend conference to give you a self-help program to get out of this. What I'm saying is the one who wrote this knew what he was talking about. And now when medical science and the mental world of the psychiatric world get closer to Jesus, they get closer to helping us and not hindering us and getting in the way. And so I want to speak just for a few more moments before I give some practicals here because there are some of you that are seeing doctors, and as I said before, it's hard for those who are suffering depression and anxiety because everything seems to be so unique for them. And a part of the deception is to think, I don't need help or I can't get help, and I don't want to take you from help. So don't get off your medication just because I'm teaching today on how medication may not always be in your life. Do not disrespect your doctor who I believe is doing their best to help you. Don't make a rash decision or think that's what I am saying. If and when God heals you from anxiety and depression, your doctor will affirm that. In other words, if I were to sit with your doctor today, they would say you do not have anxiety and depression. And I believe they would say the same thing of you. Now, if you have a doctor that's prone because doctors can be bad. If you have a doctor that's prone to saying everyone is anxious and everyone's depressed, well, then find a different doctor. But I'm saying if, if we could do a test sample and, and, you know, bring three to five of us from the church over there and talk about our lives, talk about our issues, and they can easily stamp us as non-depressed, non-anxious, then I know they'll do the same for you. There, many of them are now in this revolution that is happening, turning from simply prescribing drugs to helping people have soul healing. And so many of them are aware of these studies, though, you know, oftentimes they don't read it themselves. And if you look up the, the rate, as I said before, for depression with psychiatrists and medical doctors, it's higher than your average field. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, look up the suicide rate of medical students for me, Laura. Uh, suicide rate of medical students. It's shockingly high what medical students do in taking their own lives, even though they know so much about the mind and body. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. When Jesus said this, this was not a trivial statement. It was a statement of hope. And now get the theology before I go into the practical. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So there's a choice that we're making about whether trouble can come in or out of our heart. Not in and out of a brain. Not in and out of a physical body. I can't control whether or not cancer comes or goes. I cannot control whether or not postpartum comes and goes. I cannot control whether or not uh, my ambigula works correctly. I cannot control that. But my heart has a gate, hallelujah, that I alone keep the password for, that I have to put my thumbprint in, eye scan, come on somebody, face scan, to let things in or out. And that is where God is saying, you choose to let or not let trouble in. And he's saying, don't let it in. Now notice why. It's not just self-help because many will take all the research that I have just said and they will say, now you go out and do X, Y, and Z. Here's the practical steps. And as I was teaching in my uh, apologetics class by God's grace, the new age is right there to come and say, we'll give you solutions. Did you find the stats? What is it? How much? 9.4% medical students commit suicide. That's, that's uh, quite high, friends. One out of 10, one out of 10, almost 10%. Out of, and, I, and I did Ubering for a while when I would drop off my daughter here. I was like, what do I do at, you know, on youth group? I would go Uber, make a few extra bucks, saved up for a boat. So if you ever saw the boat, know that I worked hard for that, amen, as well as being a preacher here. But I, I, I worked up some money, put money down on it so I could afford the payments. But watch this. I would pick them up from Loyola and all those different places. I believe it. I believe it, man. They're overachievers. They're working hard, and they're sleep deprived. Uh, deprived. And there's, that's, a, that's a recipe for disaster. And why, and this is what I was thinking to myself, why in the world would people be so ignorant in the medical field to treat healers that way, those who are going to be doctors? It just blows my mind. I know they're trying to prepare them for the traumas they face, just like in basic training. They prepare soldiers for war. But, my friends, we could do better. We can give doctors breaks in between those surgeries. You know, we can think through it. You know, firemen get three days off, two days, you know, on some, things like that. There's got to be a better way. We've got to bring that number down. Amen? I mean, it shouldn't be there at all. But, I mean, for healers to be hurting themselves, it's just, it shouldn't be there. So going back to what I was talking about, when, when you listen to the new age and you go to sites right now, if you Google, you go mindfulness, uh, Four ways to overcome anxiety, uh, helpful steps, or a good diet to cure depression or to, uh, you know, to, to have less depression. Do you know almost 99% of the websites you're going to arrive on are going to be new age? They're going to be new age. They're going to bring you right in through the mindfulness, through the diet, through the health and exercise. And as I was showing in our, in our cults class, but if you just scroll down a little bit, you'll see somebody praying to to Shiva, you know, the goddess, uh, the god of war, you know, in, in Hinduism. Or you just go down a little bit more as, you know, scroll through their blogs, you'll see a Buddhist teaching, you know, Vipassana uh, meditation. And so you're, you're, you're drawn in, and let me just say this, brothers and sisters, as Christians, it could be very deceptive when you've been in church your whole life, depressed and anxious, and all they did for you was shout and holler, and yet this Buddhist 
just got you free. You can see the temptation, right? I told the story, I think it's good to, to repeat here in the class, and that is imagine a pastor. He's just going, going, and going. And this is, this is very true of many pastors in ministry. And they're just like any other person that just keeps candles burning at both ends. And they're on a plane, and they're heading to go do a conference. And you can just see there's bags under their eyes. They're on their third energy drink. And who they're sitting next to is one of those life coaches just smiling. Hey, man, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm so busy. And by the way, oftentimes this is rewarded in ministry circles, being busy for Jesus like this, you know, burning the candle. So he looks at the man, almost trying to impress him by saying, well, you know, we've been in a building project for a church that can fit a 1,000. I have three campuses in our city. I have two others. I'm flying out right now to do one of these church growth seminars. I have to go to another city after this. Oh, man, my wife, she's getting on me. I'm telling you, I hear pastors talk like this. Because they think all that ministry equals success and happiness. Now imagine, come on, imagine that life coach, that guru going, you're doing it all wrong. Anybody ever seen Parks and Rec? Anybody remember the two Rons? Nobody watches that show? Okay, I'm lame. But there is a show called Parks and Rec. And one Ron is a very stressed out, easily annoyed Ron. And he meets another Ron from another park district, but this is a sandal-wearing hippie Ron. This Ron over here eats meat. This Ron over here is a vegetarian. And so imagine now this pastor meets the life coach, and the life coach is just chilling, man. You got too much meat in your diet. You're not meditating enough. Well, I pray every now and then. No, no, you're not meditating. Now imagine that life coach gives that pastor his YouTube channel. And he says to him, man, just watch some of these videos. And within moments after the pastor, you know, lands and all of that, he's in his hotel, he does it, but, you know, within moments of him watching this, he's like, man, this actually works. I feel like, man, I'm calming down. Like, I feel like this is not so stressful right now. Do you see how tempting it is for that pastor now to start affirming the worldview and the religious beliefs of that man? Why? Because no one taught that pastor what Jesus already said. See, Jesus said the same thing. See, the man, he's like the farmer. He's sowing seed. A sinner, a wicked sinner could sow seed. A murderer could sow seed in the ground. A crop still come up. It doesn't affirm the behavior of the sinner. It just affirms the behavior of the farmer. The sinner is not being affirmed. His farming is being affirmed. Are you listening? The man who was the life coach that helped the pastor, in my example, the, the fact that it worked, it's not affirming his worldview. It's affirming the practice of mindfulness and peace of heart and mind and not letting yourself be troubled and stressed out. Amen? And so the things that I'm going to give you need to be done in the context of Christianity. Otherwise, listen, you will have the Zen of a Buddhist monk, but the soul of a sinner and will be judged as such on that day. Because just having peace in your life in that way does not equal salvation. If the Dalai Lama, who I'm not doubting he has peace, I'm not doubting him, the Dalai Lama's peace does not equal Christ's salvation. Dalai Lama, have you sinned? I'll take him through the Ray Comfort 
good person test. Ray Comfort came up with that. Have you told a lie, Dalai Lama? You ever disobeyed your parents? You ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? You've ever been jealous, you know, envious of the other monk when you were coming up in the monk, monk class, you know? You ever, you, ever, you ever lusted? You know what I'm saying? You, you ever uh, put something before the God of the Bible? And sure you do because I see your idols. Well, let me, let, me, let me just tell you, Dalai Lama, by your own confession, by your own life, you're a liar. You're a rebellious child. You are a jealous person. You are an idolater. And you will have punishment for that. So the peace doesn't change anything. Once again, just because a farmer can plant crops and fill up my whole uh, suburban area right there in in my area with, with corn doesn't mean they get to go to heaven. So just having mental peace doesn't mean you get to go to heaven. Does everybody get that? Just having a lot of money doesn't mean you get to heaven. So oftentimes people in the New Age, they, they equate that with salvation because they want the easy way out. See, look, Christian, if Christianity is all about not letting your hearts be troubled, well, I did it and I didn't need Jesus, so we're both the same. And then we say to them, no, 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 serving Jesus is not first and primary about my heart not having trouble. Being born again and being a Christian is not primary focused on me having a blessed life. The primary focus of Christianity is knowing my creator and knowing my place in his creation. Then from there, is he a good creator? Is he a good father? Hallelujah. Does he take care of us? Does he have good intentions for us? Do I show myself to be faithful to his commands, receiving the kind of life that he has for me? Absolutely. And then I'll go toe-to-toe with him any day. Honestly, if that life coach uh, was sitting next to me or sitting next to one, it would be a battle of the smiles. Well, good morning. Well, good morning back to you. Well, how are you? Well, I am just blessed. How are you? Well, the universe is in my favor. Well, that's just so good. I know who made the universe. You get what I'm saying? We're just going to go back and forth. And if they try to stick their little nubby fingers in our life, well, well, how are you doing with your diet? I'm doing good on my diet. I like to have a sick pack, but I'm still doing good. I'm healthy and whole. Well, how are you doing in your marriage? Marriage is blessed. I love my marriage. You know, he would get to the point he would have no conference to sell me. Right? Are you guys tracking with me? And then let's just say I tried to preach the gospel to him like many here do. Well, how's your life? What's going wrong in your life? Because I hear some of you preach like that. Here, let me talk about your troubles and try to tell you how Jesus is going to solve your troubles. So let's say I take that approach with him. Well, how's your marriage? Well, marriage is great. We love each other. We're soulmates. We've met because the universe brought us together. Okay, how are your children? Oh, they're so good. They're living their great lives. They're living their truth. Right, so everything I go for, he's going to answer back if he's a good life coach, right, not a hypocritical life coach. He's going to say, life is great. So what do I say with him, uh, with the gospel now? Oh, I guess you don't need it. No. I go right to him like I do with the Dalai Lama. Well, hold on, life coach teacher. You ever told a lie? You ever been envious? You ever put things before your creator? Because we weren't here, we're not here because of Mother Earth. See, now we show them the need of the gospel because the need of the gospel is the greatest need we all have. And this is why, brothers and sisters, even though Christians have done it wrong, they still go to heaven. There have been Christians who have lived depressed, anxious lives, not applying the word of God, and they get to go to heaven. While these people who have had, let's say, non-stressful lives and very healthy mental, physical lives go to hell. Because as the Bible says, it only is beneficial in some ways. Physical exercise and these things are beneficial in some ways. The most important thing is what we need for our soul. Are you all ready? 
Amen. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 through 10. The first thing that we need to do if we want to guard our hearts from trouble is to know that our hearts are very deceptive. Oh, snap. Can I get an amen? We need to know that our hearts are deceptive. The heart that you and I have will deceive us. It must be corrected and aligned by the Word of God. When we look at the Scriptures, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above how many things? All things. And beyond what? Cure who can understand it. Selfishness, which we didn't bring up in our list of the commandments, what I was doing when I was giving the good person test in our example to the Dalai Lama and this life coach was, you know, like the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie, obey your parents, and so forth. But what about the command to be selfless, not selfish, right? The Dalai Lama, has he done this for himself or has he done it for the God of the universe? If he's done all of that mind control and all of that peaceful bliss for his own self, not towards the God of the universe, he is a deceived, wicked sinner. In other words, he's denying his own creator while he's enjoying benefits of the creation. And though that lasts for a season, God allows kind of that, you know, that oxymoron thought to exist. I don't need Jesus, but I can have peace. That exists only temporarily until Jesus says, I'm done with it. How many know there's probably some ants somewhere in your house, in your wall, somewhere in your house right now? Just, just how many know? I know I don't want to freak you out, but they say we swallow like 10 bugs a year or something, okay? Like there's some little creature like in your house right now, and they're just doing their thing, right? Let's just freak out some people right now, right? There's probably a spider right now somewhere like in that area, like in your sink, you know, your kitchen. You know, you open up the cabinets. That's where you keep all the nasty stuff. You just kind of toss it under if you're like me, you know. There's just probably some spider right there. He's just chilling, just chilling, just enjoying life, you know. There's probably some ant, you know, just living under your refrigerator right now. I'm not saying a roach. I know that we're all, we're all like sophisticated here. But there's probably like just some ant just like chilling, walking around like your refrigerator right now. It would be funny to have a little ant cam. Just somebody go to your house, open up the house, you know, go there, put a little camera, and just show this little bug that I'm talking about right now, okay? And that, and that bug is chilling, right? And if you just had the mind of a bug, like Bug's Life, come on, young people, maybe it's an old cartoon, but you should go back. Oh, geez, some of my peeps remember this. A Bug's Life, right? What this bug is thinking is, man, I got it good. Man, this is a good place to chill. Every now and then, let's say it's under the refrigerator. Every now and then, a little crumb comes under here, man, like a little fogo de chow, all I can eat. My kids always got crumbs everywhere. You know, this ant eating that little crumb, that, that ant's loving life. Lights go off. The ant, you know, struts out there, you know, maybe meets another ant. We won't get into it, does what ants do, you know. And then that's when we see them when they start multiplying, you know. So eventually this ant, the kingdom being developed, you know, that spider's making a web, making that web look good. You know, that spider looks back on that web and says, you know, look at my web. Look at how I made that web. Other, other spiders come by and they're like, oh, you look fire. That's a fire web you got, girl. And they're talking about that web. They love it. This is a bug's life. Y'all listening to me? Now, when y'all encounter that bug, what happens to that bug's life? It's over. You don't even give a thought about it. It's done. That web is crushed. That thing that, that took hours to make, that's over. The crumbs, you've stomped on it and the crumbs. It took its food, you took its family, you took everything away. And then what'd you do? 
You just went back to normal life. That's all you did. Brothers and sisters, that's what God will do when he comes to the earth. That's what he'll do. We thought we were down here. Oh, look at me. Look at, look at my fashion. Look at my fashion. Look at my religion. Look, look at what I did. Look at my Instagram. Look at all. This. And God just goes, done. This is my place. It's mine. You didn't make this. It's mine. And we have to understand this, my brothers and sisters. The heart will deceive you. If that offends you, you're being deceived. The heart will try to protect itself from discomfort. Jesus wants you to confront that part of yourself with the cross. Deny yourself, take up the cross. Not take up your cotton candy and head to the carnival. Take up your cross and start following him because in the live dead position, in the crucified life, the heart now will be healed. As if you were to take that ant and put it in a little terrarium and just chill with that ant and make a little ant village for it and have little ants hanging out, right? You could chill with that ant according to how you want to chill, but the ant would have to want to do it. You see what I'm saying? Look at what he says, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the what? Come on, help me out. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their, their deeds deserve. Point number one is you have to know to give control to Jesus Christ. Your heart will lie to you. And I've been anxious enough times to feel what it feels like. A lie called anxiety for the various reasons. I've been depressed enough in my life to know the lie of depression. May not be your lie, may not be the one you hear, but I know it's deceived me. I know it's hurt me. I know it's taken me away from my health and what I need and my purpose. And yet, God is saying, I have an answer because I can search you. I can scan you. Even that child, God forbid, brought up in that, that abuse doesn't know what they don't know. We don't need to take them to hypnotism. We don't need to do all those things. We need to first and foremost help them to know God knows the heart. And as they're able to pray and process, somebody put that down, pray and process, healing will begin to come. Healing will begin to come. Healing will begin to come. Come on, somebody. Healing will begin to come as you pray and process through what you have gone through and what needs to be dealt with. And that's where, and I will be honest, as Christians, we need to be careful as we tell our testimony because sometimes it's one and done. I am a product of that one and done in drugs and alcohol, but I am not a product or a, I don't have a testimony of one and done with pornography. It was a pray and process until 96 when I got free. But it wasn't a one and done. It was like the iceberg. You only saw the tip. That day I got free, but it was all that work that the Lord was doing in my heart. Can I hear an amen? So you'll experience things one and done, and we should never be, uh, you know, turned off by hearing that. I remember being in seminary, and one of my friends, after he heard my testimony of being free from anxiety and stuff, the time I got saved, he said, well, you got to be careful about how you, how you say that testimony because people don't get it like that. And I said, listen, i got to tell my testimony. 
My testimony was this. Someone else can tell their testimony and said it was six months of therapy dog and going to church five days a week. But this is my testimony. It was at my mother's kitchen table. And I was having anxiety and panic because I was on drugs and, and, and my mind was confused. There Jesus set me free. It's my testimony. So number one, you've got to let God have control of your heart. You have to. We do. We cannot do this on our own, and we cannot expect just it to go away. And that's the truth about it. A lot of times people say, well, just go away, and I, and I understand that's, that's poor advice. Some things do pass away, but some things don't. They only get worse. But let Jesus have your heart. And so practice that every day to get alone with God and say, Lord, you said in your word not to let my heart be troubled, but it is. I feel so much trouble. Lord, show me the doors that I've opened up and help me to close them. Do you know that I stopped drinking coffee without needing a guru to tell me to stop drinking coffee? And most, most I'm telling you, most Christians drink coffee, and, and some of those same Christians deal with anxiety. I'm not saying everybody on coffee deals with anxiety, but it's so funny. I was, I was reading the meme. You know, it says, girl stressing out about her anxiety drinks three cups of coffee every day and two energy drinks. And it's like a meme, you know, and it's like, Put, just put that together for a minute. What are you doing in your life that's causing more triggers to you? So, you know, God told me, not somebody else, God told me, leave caffeine alone. Why? Think about it. I'm coming off of drugs. I've been so amped on these drugs. Now I'm changing my lifestyle, and I'm still feeling the after effects, though I'm not consumed by it anymore. And then I drink a super size of pop, and those feelings come back. I didn't know any of the things I'm sharing with you. It was only a few weeks of being saved. And then the Lord said, stop drinking it. And I go, okay. I haven't drank caffeine in over 26 years. I remember one time somebody said, well, don't you know chocolate has caffeine? I go, shut up. Don't talk to me. Don't you tell me that. No, I'm kidding. I didn't tell him shut up. I just said, be quiet, please. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it didn't, chocolate didn't affect me. But the caffeine, mainlining through my veins, liquid, you know, it affected me. Those kinds of things God's going to tell you. Don't tell me he doesn't. That's why I talk with you and I wonder, do you have a prayer life? I got to bring that back to our counselors. Even a, a situation that we had yesterday, I wish I would have asked the dear brother, are you praying like you used to? Are you as close to God as you used to? Because the turmoil you're facing and the mental anguish you're going through is oftentimes a sign of a lack of a prayer life. When was the last time you spent more than an hour with the Lord in His presence in worship and word? This should be a daily part of your life of surrender. A daily part of your life and surrender should be praying and reading His word. And yet people will call me legalistic, Say we're a one-and-done, easy solution, you know, type of church. And then they'll go to a yoga clinic. Well, they'll tell them to do the crooked chicken for three hours, two days a week in a, in a sauna sweat lodge. Are you listening to me? And it's like, you're telling me I'm putting pressure on you. I'm just saying, read your Bible, pray, and worship for an hour a day and watch what it will do in your life. I'm not forcing you to take our yoga class. I'm not asking you to become a vegan. I'm asking you to focus on Jesus for an hour. Watch what he'll do. This is how you can have God guard your heart. Number one, pray, read your word, fast, get alone with God. Do those things that help you. Fasting really helped me early on in my Christian life. I don't do it as much because I live the discipline of it. 
But at any time the Lord would ask me, I would go back to it. I used to fast three days a week by God's grace. You need a discipline of seeking God. You need the heart to trigger towards God whenever it's triggered towards anxiety. The heart needs to yearn for God. And if you're not feeding the heart the things of God, it will go towards what you're feeding it. So if you're feeding it binging Netflix, then when things go wrong, you'll go to Netflix. If you're feeding it alcohol, and then things go wrong, you'll go to alcohol. Are you guys tracking with me? If you're feeding the heart the word of God and prayer, when you're not right, it will get triggered in that direction. This past week, I've upgraded my office by God's grace. We have some new things that we're planning on doing, multimedia, YouTube, and these things. I've started some of them last year, but I want to do it a lot better. And by God's grace, we also teach in the Bible college, my wife and I. So just upgraded and had everything situated. But if you're like me, those kinds of things can put stress in your life. Two nights in a row, I stayed up till four in the morning because I'm just that kind of person. How many have been brought up under the, the idea, no better time than the present? I'm one of those people. No better time than the present. If it can be done today, do it. Don't wait. couple mornings, waking up, you know, 7, 8 o'clock, only three or four hours. I felt drained, okay? I felt mentally exhausted. My prayer life pretty much consisted of, Jesus, please help me not break what I just bought. <laughs> My Bible reading was an audio program in the background while I'm snorting and getting upset over everything around me. Because nothing worked. It took me two hours to get a mouse and a keyboard to work. I got one of the gaming ones so I could put fast triggers, so I can use Premiere and all of these things. And it, 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 it just was going bad for me. Friday, I needed Jesus, man. I'm telling you, like, you, we, you know, Joe, you need Jesus. Man, I needed Jesus. I'm, 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 you all listening to me? Your pastor needed Jesus. And this was my scripture for the week. This is what I got to pray and meditate on to get ready to preach. Do you think I had an encounter with Jesus? I had so much of an encounter with Jesus, I wrote a song about this. I, I will sing it. Get me a guitar, and I will sing it right now. I promise you I'll sing it. Somebody find me a guitar and plug it in. That's a bass. I don't know how to play that. Tears coming down my eyes, writing a song. I felt like I was a child in the arms of Jesus. I was like, there you are, Jesus. He was like, I never left. I'm like, I'm like, it was me walking that road, wasn't it? Yeah, but I never left. You see, you got to go back to that mindfulness of God. You've got to put your mind on the things of God. When the Bible says, set your heart on things above, you make those choices. You didn't make the choice of the trauma, but you made the choices to set your heart on Jesus. I have three other points that I have to give. I went longer in the introduction. So will you come back next week so I can finish this in a part two? Amen. But now you're going to hear me sing a song. <laughs> Welcome to Metro Praise. Oh, I thought, oh, you are bringing the guitar stuff. Okay, I was like, so I'm fixing the fan. I'm like, oh, I guess it's not happening, but I think it is. There it is. All right. This is going to be fun. Can I get a mic stand, uh, Juan? Can you grab that mic stand as he's figuring that out? Do you know that when we started this church, I was the worship leader? I was also the janitor. I was also the counselor and all of these other things. So you're going to go back now to circa 2005. Thank you, brother. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. I know not to ever say that again if I'm not ready. But you know what? I, I receive it because I was questioning myself whether or not I should even do that. Honestly, I was. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should have him do it. But then I was like, I could show you the chords, you know. 
But you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. It's a good one. Go ahead and put up those lyrics for me, please. Lawrence, am I lying? Uh, the verse. Lawrence, am I lying about writing a song to this? That's right. That's right, man. Tears in my eyes. Love in Jesus. If you put that passage up. I got to work it up. I got to work it up, y'all. and then back to the chorus. Jesus. All right, y'all may stand up. Come on. I'll keep playing, right? We'll have the band and altar workers come, and we'll just go with this now. Amen. So if you started off with us today controversial, you know, you thought I was being mean or offending, I hope you see how real it is in my heart that it actually works and that if you put it into practice, you'll see the blessing of the Lord come in your life. Amen? So just G and C, my brother. Lord, we lift up to you our lives and we give you control. You know our hearts. You know that which we're going through. And Lord, if there's anyone anxious or depressed in this place, may they not be discouraged or made to feel like they're uh, to blame, but Lord, let them start right now, afresh and anew, by opening their hearts to you. Come on, open your heart to Jesus. Open your heart to the Lord. Anyone here today don't know Jesus, start a relationship with him. Repent of your sins, be born again. If you've been suffering with anxiety or depression, 
No one here is to judge you. We want to pray with you, offer you counsel, offer you prayer, because we believe God is able. Just in these next few moments, just search your hearts and seek the Lord. What does the Lord show you? What are things today that you can have him do in your lives? What can you let in? As you don't let in trouble, you can let the peace of God rule your heart. That's another great scripture. Let the peace of God rule your hearts. Hallelujah. Lord, before we go, we thank you for everyone receiving prayer today. We thank you for those accepting you and deciding to walk with you. Lord, we thank you for the healing that you've brought to many here, whether it was postpartum, anxiety, PTSD, phobias. And Lord, we ask you to do more. Do more testimonies. Lord, we know that you don't want to stop. You're waiting for us to pray. So we ask you to do more. We ask you to set anyone that needs it free today. Let there be more testimonies of your glory. Hallelujah. Teach us not to let our hearts be troubled. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, bless us as we move from this place, but never your presence. Help us, O oh Lord, to now share this with others, not with the spirit of religion, but with the spirit of grace, so that there can be encouragement given, so that all can know that you're with us, and that when you have our soul and we're with you, you're in control, and you calm the storms, and you give us what we need when we need it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord, saints? God bless you, first service. We're going to keep worshiping. Come on up for prayer or just someone to talk to. Otherwise, you're dismissed out this side door as the second service folks begin to come in. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for coming.
forever.